Well, it sure is good to see all of you this evening. And uh, are you enjoying this cooler weather? And a little rain doesn't hurt. No? <laughs> but now, wait a minute. You're from the Northeast. Or North. So this is so much better this time of the year. <laughs> You've gotten spoiled being in Florida. Yeah. It's, uh, it's wonderful, and I, I kind of enjoy the rainy. It makes me appreciate the sunshine more, because we take that sunshine for granted. And I don't know, there's something about a rainy day and cozing up with a good book. Yes. So it's been that kind of a week, and uh, lately I've been sitting a lot, or actually laying a lot with sickness. So I took full advantage when I could uh, to, to do a little reading. Uh, it feels good to be back, and... Uh, uh, appreciate each of you being here, and I want to thank Scott for the tremendous job he has done on Wednesday nights covering the base uh, last week in chapter, <laughs> uh, I think you finished up six and seven, and uh, I just really appreciate his teaching, and then of course Pastor Brenton on Sundays the last two weeks, that was all designed, you know, back in the beginning to have a Christmas series where he and I would tag team he would go week one, I would go week two, he would do week three, I would cover Christmas morning. Well, we had to switch it around. He had to do week one and two, and he did a wonderful job, didn't he? Really ministered to me. We're very blessed with gifted Bible teachers and those who love the Word of God and want to, when they get up to speak, they just want the Word of God to win. They're not trying to win brownie points for themselves. They just want God's Word to go forth. And man, if a church has that in their leaders, you are so far ahead of many churches today. And a lot of places, the pastor just gets up and wants to, uh, I think he's in love with his voice, I guess. I don't know, but they just like to talk. But we need the Word of God. Amen? Well, tonight I want to do the same. I want to be faithful to the Word. And uh, why don't we begin with prayer? And let's lift up many people who have been sick who are recovering from sickness and those who are, who are in the middle of sickness. And even today I learned from, as the elders, we get reports all the time from people of a person in our church who had a, uh, uh, a surgery, uh, was it this morning, Scott? And it was, it was it just something came on them quickly. They had to do a procedure and they're home now, praise God. But things like that are happening all the time to people and we need to be lifting people up, being mindful of people who um, we just, I think we take our, our health for granted at times. And when you've been sick, it gives you a greater uh, desire to pray for people who are sick and to identify with them and understand them. And certainly that's where I'm at right now. So um, praise God for that. I don't know, you know, I'm not going to mention what I had, but it's, it's more of a problem that I think women face than men. But it was, it, I was up every 15 to 20 minutes. Uh, night before last. So last night I got a good night's sleep for the first time in about four days. And so praise God for sleep. Amen. I must have been doing something wrong because the Bible says the sleep of a, of a worker is sweet. So I, I guess I haven't been working hard enough because I didn't sleep well, but last night I did. Okay. Let's, let's pray. Father, <coughs> thank you so much for this opportunity tonight to be with uh, the people of God. I never want to take that for granted, and certainly right now, I don't take it for granted. I thank you for each person that is here, how you know them, you've known them from the foundation of the world. They are now desiring to grow in your word. As Peter said, we should grow in the, in the knowledge and the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Lord, that's what we're about tonight. I pray that you would speak personally to us and, sub and subjectively and corporately, that we would be a better people, that we would be better Christians as we come to understand the truth. Because the scripture says that when you know the truth, the truth will set you free, free from the bondages of wrong thinking, of, of teaching that maybe we've had in the past that is an error. And so, Lord, we just want to come into greater truth tonight. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Let's look at verse 1 in chapter 8 of 2 Kings. Now Elisha had said to the woman whose son he had restored to life, Arise and depart with your household, and sojourn wherever you can, for the Lord has called for a famine, and it will come upon the land for seven years. So the woman arose and did according to the word of the man of God. She went with her household and sojourned into the land of the Philistines seven years. And at the end of the seven years, when the woman returned from the land of the Philistines, she went to appeal to the king for her house and her land. So Elisha spoke to the woman whose son he had restored back to life. If you want the reference for that, that would be 2 Kings chapter 4. If you remember, she was so faithful to God and would provide for Elisha, uh, gave him room and board, she and her husband, and lodging and just cared for him so that as he traveled around Israel ministering to people, the Word, uh, he could stop in any time and have a place to stay and not worry about a place to lay his head. So uh, she was a, such a gracious person who loved God. And so now all of a sudden, uh, and, and by the way, and her son had fallen, uh, he died. And Elisha was summoned. He came and, and the Lord through Elisha raised that boy back to life. This is the woman that he's talking about here. And now on the advice of the prophet Elisha, she and her family left Israel because of a coming famine. Now, in the land of the Philistines, which was close by, it probably or likely was that they too experienced to some degree a famine, but it wasn't as severe as in Israel, okay, and Judah. So, and the Philistines would be east, I'm sorry, west and south of Judah. That's where the Philistines lived, mainly south. And so she went down to the land of the Philistines, and there she lived for seven years. Now, in leaving Israel, in leaving her land, her ancestral home, she lost it. If you left like that and went into another foreign land, now the king would take possession of your land and your home. And that's what happened. But now this is very interesting to me. Uh, but on the advice of Elisha, the man of God, she obeyed what he told her to do, knowing full well that she would now abandon and leave her house and might never get it back. But she thought or she knew that obeying God was the most important thing for her to do, to obey God. And she left that matter in the hands of the Lord. Now, the question is, would you do the same? That, that's a, think about the tall order there. To leave whatever you have, knowing that when you leave it uh, for seven years, it's no longer yours. But because God made it so clear to you to leave, would you be able to walk away like that? You're talking about a woman of great faith, right? And there was much to lose in this. All of her land, all of her property, everything she owned that she couldn't carry on her back, and carry on the wagons with her, her, uh, her household. And she did have a household. <coughs> Excuse me, it wasn't just she and her son. She would have had servants and others who worked the land for her. So all of them went together. And uh, I, I guess the takeaway is, when I look back in my life, in the times when I have, by the Word of God, come into truth, and it fit with a decision that I needed to make in my personal life or in my family's life, and I obeyed the word, I can honestly say, looking back on those incidents, I've never regretted following God's word. Never. Now, I wish I could say that the rest of the time, but that's not true. Whenever I drifted a little bit, whenever I let fear grip me, whenever I tried to keep control of something that the Lord told me to let go of, Generally, I'm the one that suffers for it, and my family suffers for it, and the church suffers for it. And so there's just a great lesson here for us. It's not easy to obey God when He puts what you own, what you possess, at risk. But He is worth it. Remember Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace. I came with a sword. 
and I'm going to separate father from mother. It'll be separating child from, from uh, parents. In other words, not that He wants us to not get along, but for the sake of, of me, for the sake of, of you being a faithful disciple, you might lose the favor of a child. You might lose the favor of a parent. And you have to stay with God. you gotta, you got to do it. And watch what God does. In this case, she did exactly what God had told her to do by the prophet. And of course, God honored her for that. I have to believe He will honor us when we're faithful to Him. Does that make sense? Any thoughts on that right now? Can anybody, does that relate to you? Can you maybe even in your mind, uh, you can think of an instance where you were faithful to God in a difficult matter. You trusted Him when everything was telling you not to, and God proved Himself strong in your life or in your family's life. Anybody? I remember my, my, my mom and dad, uh, I was attending a middle school. Uh, back then they called it junior high, and of course it was 6th through 8th grade, right? Or, no, uh, I'm sorry, 7th through ninth grade, junior high school. And it was in a really rough part of town. It was during desegregation. And, uh, and so really rough, and the, the school was rough. And just about on a daily basis, I was getting, uh, uh, not beat up, but just continually assaulted with words and even physical, some physical stuff uh, from older students at the school. And my dad, I came home one day and I was hungry and I was digging in the refrigerator and mom said, why, why are you in the refrigerator? You know, didn't you eat your lunch? And I, I hadn't eaten my lunch because it was stolen from me, which happened periodically. And uh, so my dad came home and he went to the school, met with one of the leaders, one of the, either maybe a vice principal or whoever, and they looked at him and just said, there's nothing we can do about that. And so that day he came home, told my mom, we're taking him out of the public school and we're going to pay for the Christian school, which was expensive at that time. They're all expensive even now, right? Huge sacrifice on their part, but they did it. They did it. And I'm so thankful for that. And I don't think they regret the results that came from that difficult decision, walking by faith. And uh, I'm sure that the money was already tight, but they worked it out, and God provided. That, that's, that's what we're talking about in real life, how God is able to provide when we're faithful to Him. We can never underestimate the Word of God and the promise of God's Word. We can walk by it. We can trust it, and you'll never regret it. You just won't. Amen? Now, some of you are still waiting for that promise to come true, okay? And that's okay, but don't ever quit. You remain faithful to God. God will handle the rest. And that's, that's what we see here in the, in the text. I, I, I think it's just a very appropriate story that fits us today. It's a great reminder for us. Uh, now, the king was talking with Gehazi, the servant of the man of God. Now, the king would have been the Syrian king, okay? This is the Syrian king talking to Gehazi, the servant of the man of God. Tell, I'm sorry, no, this was Israel. And telling, uh, he said, telling me all the great things that Elisha has done. Now, Gehazi, if you remember, was the servant of Elisha, whom Elisha uh, cursed because he tried to be greedy and take what God didn't want for Elisha, he chased after the guy that brought these gifts and said, hey, I'll take them. Uh, Elisha sent me. He wants, he wants to have those. Uh, he lied, and so he was stricken with leprosy. So here he is. He approaches the king, and while he was telling the king how Elisha had restored the dead to life, behold, the woman whose son he had restored to life appealed to the king for her house and her land. And Gehazi said to the king, My lord, O king, here is the woman, and here is her son, whom Elisha restored to life. And when the king asked the woman, she told him, so the king appointed an official for her, saying, Rejoice, or I'm sorry, restore all that was hers, together with all the produce of the fields from the day that she left and the land until now. Praise God. So Gehazi is the same servant of which Elisha brought leprosy on. 
But the king wanted to know more about Elisha. He was hearing stories, and nobody could tell a better story than Gehazi, who walked with Elisha, who was there when it happened. If he had leprosy at that time, which he probably did, the king probably listened to him from a distance. He, he wasn't allowed to get too close. But you're going to go after, if you want to learn about someone, you go after the people who know him best, and that would have been Gehazi. Okay, That's, that story, by the way, is in 2 Kings, if you want to ever go back and reread it. Um, it this, this makes this portion of Scripture so powerful to me because it clearly speaks of God's providential hand. At the time that this woman returns to Israel and wants to appeal to the king, to get her land back, to get her house back, which generally, in that case, you wouldn't get it back. But she's walking by faith. She goes to the king. At the same exact time, God has Gehazi telling the king the story of your life with Elijah and how God used Elijah to raise your son, and he's standing right there in front of the king. Only God can pull that off providentially. See, even when you say after you're obeying God and things aren't working out, I don't know how and I don't even know if God's going to do anything with this. God can do anything with nothing. If you remember how He created the heavens and the earth in the beginning, out of nothing He made something. He spoke it into existence. He didn't have to lift a finger. I think his feet were propped up on a, on, a, on a footstool probably as he spoke and the world came into existence. That's how awesome your God is. No one like him. And here he aligns Gehazi and the king having this story about the woman with the woman walking up asking for favor from the king. Of course this king is so moved in his heart by what uh, Elijah had done raising the boy in the power of God, that he was willing to do whatever he could for the woman. Why? Because if God gave this woman that kind of favor, I want to give her favor because I want God's favor on me. So that's pretty cool. I, I just love how that works out. Uh, he saw the woman that was miraculously, uh, uh, her son was healed, and he immediately restored all that was hers. And then the proceeds that they had taken from her land for seven years, he restored all of that. She didn't lose anything, even though she wasn't there. So does God provide? Let me ask you that, church. Amen. He is a faithful, faithful God. Now, this story is in striking contrast to the notorious land grab of Jehoram's father, Ahab. And we're not going to go into that, but just go back and read about Ahab. Totally different story. Mar married to Jezebel, right? We are going to cover Jezebel next week. Oh, it gets so good. I'm just, I love that story, how God, uh, He rectifies everything. The next time we meet, which is the first, let me ask you, the fourth is the first Wednesday of January. Some are going to be coming back from vacations. I think school starts on the, on the 9th. Or we could wait until the following Wednesday, the second Wednesday of January, to start the class back. Does anybody have a preference? Okay, so the sixth. Okay, so the first Wednesday or wait until the second Wednesday. School? I'm, I'm sorry? Okay, well that, then that has to be the fourth. Fourth is the first? Okay, yeah, fourth and the eleventh. So, any, any takers? Which one would you, does it matter to you? Well, for the sake of those who are just getting back and haven't started school, why don't we wait until the eleventh and we'll pick up then, okay? So, we're going to, this is our last Wednesday night because next week is be, right before Christmas. And then the following week, um, the staff is off and some will travel. And then we'll pick it up the second week of January, okay? So write that in. And we will cut, it's going to be a great, great message the next time because we deal with Jezebel and how God doesn't let anybody get away with anything. Amen. You ever have this feeling that somebody's really getting off with it, with the, what they're doing that's wrong? They're getting away with it. Uh, 
everybody will stand before God and give account of their life. Nobody gets away with anything. Anybody. Nobody gets away with it. That's right. Okay, so let's keep moving. Verse 7, now Elisha came to Damascus. Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, was sick. And when it was told him, the man of God has come here, the king said to Haziel, take a present with you and go to meet the man of God and inquire of the Lord through him, saying, shall I recover from this sickness? Now, this is a very interesting story here. Very hardly ever do you see a man of God traveling into a foreign land. He is now in the land of the, the, Syrian, the, the Syrians, and the king of Syria is ill. <laughs> when he learns that Elijah has come, Elisha has come into the land, he sends Haziel, who was a high-ranking, uh, probably servant, um, certainly somebody he trusted, and he sent him to Elijah to Elisha to ask, "Am I going to recover from this sickness?" He was deathly ill, and he wanted to know. He believed that the prophet of God of Israel could tell him about his future. So Haziel, verse 9, went to meet him and took a present with him. Okay, this is what the king sent with Haziel. All kinds of goods of Damascus, 40 camels loads. 40 camels loads. That's a lot of stuff. Camels can haul quite a bit. And when he came and stood before him, he said, Your son Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, has sent me to you, saying, Shall I recover from this sickness? So, so far, he's doing exactly what the king asked him to do. Now, interestingly, we don't know if Elisha received the gifts that he brought to him. It doesn't say that. What we do know from Scripture is that most of the time, Elisha did not receive the gifts that were brought to him. He wanted to rely on the Lord and the Lord alone and not place his hope in the in trinkets of man. So the, my guess, and it's only a guess because the Bible doesn't say, I would guess that he did not receive from these, these animals all the stuff, the presents that the king had sent. The king's doing that because he really does want to hear from Elisha. He needs to know, am I going to live or die from this sickness? And so... When he came and stood before him, he said, Your son Benadad, king of Syria, has sent me to you, saying, Shall I recover from this sickness? Uh, so he's wanting to know the outcome. In verse 10, And Elisha said to him, Go say to him, You shall certainly recover. Whew, that's good news. But, hmm, not only you shall certainly recover, but the Lord has shown me that he shall certainly die. And he fixed his gaze and stared at Haziel until he was embarrassed. And the man of God wept. And Haziel said, why does my Lord weep? And he answered, because I know the evil that you will do to the people of Israel. You will set on fire their fortresses. You will kill their young men with the sword and dash in pieces their little ones and rip open their pregnant women. And Haziel said, What is your servant who is but a dog that he should do this great thing? And Elisha answered, The Lord has shown me that you are to be the king over Syria. Now, there's a lot in that. Let's try to unpack just a little bit of it. So Elisha meets with this guy, Haziel, representing the king, and he said, let the king know he will certainly not die from the illness or the sickness. He will recover from that. And then he fixed his gaze on Haziel, and he stared at him until Haziel was embarrassed. You ever had someone catch you in a lie or catch you in a deception and they don't even tell you that they know that you are you're being deceptive but they just look at you and they stare at you to the point that you become embarrassed you're feeling very uncomfortable 
because you know what's in your heart, and they shouldn't know it. But it's almost as if they know what's going on. That's the situation here. And, and so he, he addresses directly. He said he will not die of the sickness, but he is going to die. He is going to die. That you are going to be king over Israel. You know, Haziel's response was, well, what, what do you mean? I'm just, uh, who am I? I would never, you know, take this on and, and try to take out the king. I'm, I'm, I'm a nobody. And then Elisha said to him, you're the next king. So this is not, listen, this is not God planting in the mind of Haziel to kill the king and become the next king. This is Elisha who God has given foreknowledge of what's going to happen. And Elisha sees it for what it is. And this kid is being called out. You will kill the king and you will be the next king of Israel. Uh, I'm sorry? Uh, I'm sorry, Syria, of Syria. And he fixed his gaze and stared at him until he was embarrassed. And the man of God wept. Why did he weep? Because he saw what this new king would do to Israel. He was overwhelmed when he thought about the level of, of murder and destruction that this man would bring to God's people. Now listen, understand, most of Elisha's ministry, he's trying to warn Israel to turn back to God. He knows that they're unfaithful in that. Yet when he learns just how, excuse me, how severe God's discipline is going to be against Israel, he, he weeps. What God allowed him to see was just horrendous. And he fixed his gaze. Okay, now, uh, this, this had to be the burden of a man of God as he walks with God. And this has to be the burden of every Christian as we walk with God. The closer we try to live out the Scripture in this day and age, the more we see the sin around us. The more you live it, the more people will notice that you're living it. And they'll look at you. They'll point at you. They'll see you as the enemy. And it would be easy for a Christian to then just become defensive and try to get even with them or them coming after you. That is not the way of the Bible. Jesus never taught that. When Peter saw the soldiers coming for Jesus, he chopped off the ear of the one soldier and Jesus healed the man instantly. Jesus did not come to fight Rome. He came to seek and save lost people. The minute that you pick up your knife, or the minute that you pick up your verbal knife and start waving it at people who are the enemy is the day that you stop praying for the lost. It's hard to pray for a political opponent when you're angry at them. Yet the Bible would say that's the calling of God on you, is even though they will despitefully abuse you and hate you and speak all manner of evil against you and mock you, you still must pray for them. You should weep over them. When we see somebody who's so wicked, and boy, lately on the news, some of the things that I'm seeing and hearing from certain people, and... Uh, just the absolute mockery of God. And, it, it, you know, my first response is, they deserve everything they've got coming to them. But then, it's, if the Holy Spirit is leading me in His Word, my response is, God, help them. Unless He turns the light on, they're going to die and go to hell. That should burden us to pray for them, right? Well, that's the situation here. So, so Elisha is wanting to be a faithful servant of God and speak the truth. But even in speaking the truth, he begins to have mercy on Israel, which is evil. We're talking about the Israel that is turned against God. 
Israel that is now taking on the, the traditions of other nations, the pagan worship of other, <laughs> excuse me, of other nations. <laughs> We're talking about a light, uh, 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 Israel that has completely abandoned God. And so, so that didn't lead Elisha to say, well, they've got what they're, what's coming to them. I now know God's shown me what's going to happen to them. They deserve it. He didn't say that. The opposite came out. He said, oh, I've got, I've got water. Thank you so much, Vicki. Yes, thank you. Uh, he, he didn't say that. Instead, he, he, he wept over Israel for what was going to happen to them because he knows that they deserve what's going to happen, but it doesn't make him happy. He's not rejoicing over it. Okay? Very important passage here. Very important. God's, let me say this, God's providential work goes both ways. In His providence, He can bring about a blessing like He did for the woman and her son, restoring their land and all that they possessed for seven years. He can also use burdens in His providential hand. And in this case, it's bringing a discipline to His people, which is harsh, which is so cruel, it's even hard to even, I don't even want to read it again, what, it, what, what the enemy's going to do to Israel. But both, listen, both are providential in God's hand. I do not believe that this text teaches that God planted in Hazael the idea of killing the king and becoming the next king. I believe God allowed Elisha, Elisha to see what was already in Hazael's heart, what he was going to do, and God allowed him to do it because he wanted discipline. He wanted to discipline Israel. So, verse thirteen, and Hazael said, "What is your servant who was but a dog that he should go do this great thing?" Interesting. He called it a great thing. What's so great about it? Uh, who could think of such an evil act? You say, well, maybe the kid wasn't thinking about that. He didn't even think. Yes, he did. But here's the thing about evil. Evil resides in the heart of every single one of us. When we're born in this world, we're born into evil. You're, you're not saved when you're born. You don't have goodness when you're born. Your goodness does not save you. You have to, God has to, look, you're a dead person, the Scripture says. Paul said, you're, until Christ raises you, you're dead in Christ. You're dead. Your spirit's not even alive. Only the Holy Spirit can revive or regenerate your spirit so that you can communicate with God. So in that state of unregeneration, all you can do is evil. Oh, you can do good things. The world is filled with humanitarians doing good things. But that's um, human-to-human goodness. That is not a human-to-God goodness. Man can't offer God any goodness. Man's a sinner, completely lost apart from Christ. We only can receive from God by His grace His righteousness. Never can we contribute towards it. Never can we earn it. Never can we merit God's righteousness. It is a gift of God, lest any man should boast. Amen? So... Be very careful that you and I not walk into the trap of thinking somehow, uh, well, I'm better than that. I could never do what this guy did. You know what the Scripture says? Let me remind you. The heart is deceitful above all things. Who can know it? You can't even know the depth of evil and wickedness in your heart. And the only way to be eradicated from that is by the work of Jesus Christ who takes your life of, of wickedness and He makes, gives you a life of righteousness, not based on your goodness, but on His righteousness in you. Amen? So very important that we understand that we could be in the same place this guy is. Don't think for a second that you're better than this guy. It's amazing if you open the door to sin, how far sin will take you, how much it will cost you, and you won't recover unless, unless you truly repent. Now, verse 13, Elisha answered, The Lord has shown me that you are to be king over Israel. Some of us might be wondering right now, 
why Elisha planted the seed of, his assassin, of this assassination in Hazael's heart. I don't think he did. Elisha did not tell Hazael how the king would die. He did not reveal that it would be through assassination. Uh, Elisha did not tell Hazael how he would become the next king of Syria. He did not tell Hazael to assassinate the king. Elisha went against his own compassionate and patriotic interest in telling Hazael these things, making it more likely that he did it as God's, at God's prompting. He only obeyed God and told uh, Hazael what God wanted said. Elisha possibly hoped that this amazing prophecy would touch Hazael's heart, that God knew what's in his heart. It would touch him and he would repent of it. He did not. He went forward with exactly what God said would happen. That's why God has foreknowledge. He knows everything before it happens. So we have to place ourselves in the care and the trust of Almighty God for anything good that comes through us. You've heard me say numerous times, if anything good happens in the life at Bureau Bible Fellowship, it's the Lord. And if anything happens that's not good, it's man. You can blame us. We're the ones at fault. And so all goodness comes from God. All of it. Okay? Verse 14, Then he departed from Elisha and came to his master who said to him, What did Elisha say to you? Now i got good news and good news. That's really what he said. I've got good news and good news. Okay? He told me that, that you would certainly recover from your sickness. But the next day, he took the bedcloth and dipped it in water and spread it over the king's face till he died. And Haziel became king in his place. Ex I'm sorry? Yeah. Yeah. So exactly what Elisha had said came true. And you can fake it like, you know, oh, I could never do such a great thing. I could never do that. I'm just a dog. Who am I? He did it. God knew he would do it. So the king was told he would not die from the sickness, which he did not. He died from assassination. So the predestination of God does not destroy the free agency of man. And this is an ongoing conflict that a lot of us don't understand. And i got to be honest, I don't fully understand it either. Uh, there's a responsibility of the sinner. Even in God's predestination, there's a responsibility. It's true that in the matter of salvation, when God comes to save, His free grace prevails over His our free agency and leads the will in glorious captivity to the obedience of faith. Isn't that true? I didn't get saved because I had right thoughts toward God. I got saved because God miraculously, lovingly, graciously saved me in the midst of my sinfulness. I can't take any credit for, for my salvation. It was totally the Lord. But in sinning, man is free, free in the wildest sense of the term, never being compelled to do any evil deed, but being left to follow the turbulent passions of his own heart, which is corrupt. So it leads us to carry out what really is a tendency in our heart towards evil, in our depraved nature. Only God can rescue us from that. You say, I don't understand why that person doesn't believe in God. Who knows why? It could be that they have so rejected Christ that now there's no Holy Spirit even trying to convict them any, any longer. It could be that it's not their time to be saved. They're not opening themselves to it, but God will. Remember, Paul prayed about the Hebrews and he, to the Jews, and he said that they have uh, that Satan has blinded the eyes of the unbelieving. But that doesn't mean God can't lift the sh the shades that they can see once you know once again God for who He is and Jesus as Messiah. I believe in the end the Jews will come to Christ in magnificent number. So there's an ancient Assyrian inscription called the Berlin inscription. Listen to this. It says, this is what it says, quote, Hazael, the son of nobody, seized the throne. Wow. The son of nobody seized the front throne. Hazael means, write this down, it means God sees. 
or whom God beholds. God saw everything that was in the heart of this wicked man, and his own people did not even record or remember him as the king. He was not buried among their kings because what he did was so evil, and he was a nobody. Okay? Verse 16, in the final year of Joram, the son of Ahab, king of Israel, when Jehoshaphat was king of Judah, Joram, uh, the son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 32 years old when he came, became king, and he reigned eight years in Jerusalem. And he walked in the way of the kings of Israel as the house of Ahab had done. For the daughter of Ahab was his wife, and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Yet the Lord was not willing to destroy Judah for the sake of David his servant, since he promised to give a lamp to him and to his sons forever. In the days Edom revolted, in his days Edom revolted from the rule of Judah and set up a king of their own. Then Joram passed over to Zair with all his chariots and rose by night, and, he, uh, and his chariots commanders struck the Edomites who had surrounded him, but his army fled home. So Edom revolted from the rule of Judah to this day. The Libna revolted at the same time. Now the rest of the acts of Joram and all that he did, are, not they, are they not written in the book of Chronicles of the kings of Judah? So Joram slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David, and Ahaziah, his son, reigned in his place. Uh, now there's a lot there that we could walk through, but let me just try to give you a simple summary. Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, began to reign as king over Judah. And the story of the kings of Judah really paused at 1 Kings 22.50, where Jehoshaphat, the son of Asa, ended his 25-year reign, and his son Jehoram came to the throne. So what we're doing is picking up from the story of Jehoram again. We've come back to Jehoram. And the king Jehoram of Judah should not be confused with the king Jehoram of Israel, which was mentioned all the way back in 2 Kings chapter 3. So Jehoram is called Joram, in this passage, in some of the manuscripts. Uh, when it says that he walked in the way of the kings of Israel, it means that he was not a compliment king. He didn't follow God. He's the king in the south, in Judah, but he acted more like a king from the north. Remember, the northern kingdom never once had a, a good king. They were all wicked. In the south, there were some good, good ones that came along, but he walked in the way of the northern kings, okay? In 2 Chronicles 21, verse 11, it adds that Joram, uh, Jehoram made all Judah to sin according to the religion of the Canaanites. So he's following in the foot, footsteps of those kings in the north. And uh, for the daughter of Ahab was his wife. Oh, now we see why. The daughter of Ahab. Who was Ahab's wife? Jezebel. So he married the daughter of Jezebel. And no wonder he's following the gods of Canaan, okay? Uh, this marriage was arranged by his father. They thought that if we can unite uh, our son from the southern kingdom to uh, the daughter of Ahab and the northern kingdom, maybe something good will come out of it. Um, <laughs> that was one of the oversights of the solar system, uh, believe me. Um, the reality is, and this is something for us to remember, if we, if we um, stay close with people who are not following God as we have followed God, your old friends that are still in that same place they were in before, um, they're going to rub off on you more than you with them. We, we need a clean break. You can't hang out with evil and expect evil to become good. That evil will taint you, and that's exactly what we see happening here. The son of the king was put together with the daughter of the king in, in Israel, and she had a negative impact on him. I'm not blaming her for everything he did wrong. The Bible says he was wicked. He followed in the kings of the north of Israel, but she didn't help any. And she's not going to help him because she doesn't have a heart for God. He's coming from the north. This is something that I think we should constantly think about, okay? 
Who do we hang out with? Who do we spend our time with? If we're spending time with people who don't know the Lord, look, that's good. We should have friends that are not saved. We're always trying to be an influence. But when you spend so much time with them and you're so close to them that now you find yourself letting up in your Christian values when you're around them, it causes you to close your mouth and not speak the truth because you don't want to offend them. You are in a dangerous place. You could easily be uh, uh, enticed to walk further from the ways of God and more into the ways of this world. Be very careful. That's why with our kids, it's so important who we allow them to make friendships with. If you're not paying attention to who your friends, who your kids' friends are, uh, and you're letting them go spend the night at that house, who knows what's going on? Who knows what they're watching on TV? Who knows what those parents are talking about at the dinner table? We, we got to be so careful. Amen? Even in this day. Any thoughts there on this? Any thoughts? Bob? Of course. <laughs> the Word of God will preach anywhere. That's it. You can see the difference, can't you? The guys that go and, and start fresh with new friends, men who will inspire them in God, and those who fall back into the old ways. Hmm. Uh, Second Corinthians 6.14. Let's just as a reminder go back to this. Please turn there. Second Corinthians 6.14. I want to read it to you. I'll read all the way to chapter 7, verse 1. This is Paul giving an admonishment to Christians. Okay? 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. He says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of God, of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst, be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing, then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be, a, be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Look at verse 1 of chapter 7. Since we have these promises, beloved let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. So he's, he's trying to warn us not to hang out with those who are unequally yoked. I will not marry a couple if they're unequally yoked. If one is a Christian and the other is not a Christian, no wedding. And I tell them straight up, no wedding from me. I have to obey the word. The word says don't marry unequally yoked. Now, interestingly, if both are unsaved, I'll marry them because I will share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. They will come to know who God is, what the gospel says, and that there's no hope in their marriage apart from God. They're unequally yoked. Well, they're, not, they're not unequally yoked. They're both lost. And the Bible talks about common grace. God gives common grace to all people on the earth. It is a common grace of God that people can marry. People who don't know God, they can marry. They can have children. They can have a life. That's God's common grace. But it's not saving grace that they're walking in. They will not know the blessings of heaven walking in that common grace. So I won't marry unequally yoked people. And so uh, here we see uh, God being very specific in the text that we should not hang out with those folks who are not faithful to God. Look at verse 25. 
In the twelfth year of Joram, the son of Ahab, king of Israel, Ahaziah, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, began to reign. Ahaziah was twenty-two years old when he began to reign, and he reigned one year in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Athaliah, and she was a granddaughter of Omri, king of Israel. And he also walked in the way of the house of Ahab and did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, as the house of Ahab had done, for he was son-in-law to the house of Ahab. So he went with Joram, the son of Ahab, to make war against Haziel, king of Syria, at Ramoth-Gilead, and the Syrians wounded Joram. And King Joram returned to be healed in Jezreel of the wounds that the Syrians had given him at Ramoth when he fought against Haziel, king of Judah. And Ahaziah, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, went down to see Joram, the son of Ahab, in Jezreel because he was sick. That's going to set up next week's story. By the way, this, this, this year of 841 B.C. is pivotal. This was a real year of change going down. And now we see the Assyrians who have broken through the diplomatic uh, defense line. Now the Assyrians are going to come and they're going to take over the northern kingdom of Israel and haul them off. But before that happens, God's going to deal with some old business. And her name is, Je is Jezebel. So we'll pick that up next, ne next time we meet, the, the second week of January, okay? Any questions, any thoughts, comments that you might have tonight on the teaching from this passage of Scripture? Yes. Exactly. That's a, that's a very good point. Very good point. Yeah, it, it doesn't take long for the enemy to wear us down when we're hanging with the wrong crowd. You really do have to ask God to provide new friends and, and hang out with the people that God loves and the people who are following God. They fear God. And uh, yes. Yeah, that's true. Well, if you've been saved, you're, you've been transformed. True believers will recognize that, and they will begin to receive you. They have to. The Bible says they have to. But it's but some, you know, we function out of the flesh, and we knee-jerk and hold people, you know, suspect at a distance. And, yeah, I know what you're saying. Any others? Well, I want to thank you for coming out this evening, and let's look forward to our time uh, in a few weeks, but I'll, I'll be back in the pulpit this Sunday morning. We'll continue in our series from uh, the Christmas series that we're in. And uh, we've, we've dealt with who Jesus or who, who came. We dealt with uh, uh, what was unique about him and why he came in flesh. And what does that mean to us that he came near to us? This Sunday, we're going we're gonna to look at why he came and really break that down. And you might be surprised at the answer. The obvious answer that most pastors will give for why he came is that he could identify with us. That is a reason. That's not the main reason. And so we're going to look at this on Sunday, and I think it's going to be very moving as we continue to look at the divine side of Christmas, okay? Not just the baby in the manger, but God coming with us, okay? Amen. God bless each of you. Make sure you take some food and uh, grab a cup of coffee if you like. Thank you for the ladies who set all this up for us. Thank you so much, and it's good to see you. God bless.